cliffcentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And uh, Roman is present. Jonathan, what? How are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm well in yourself. I'm good. The whole tour is awry. Not awry. Whatever. Outrage. Burning witches uh, in the digital well, realm. I, I, I don't know. We are actually tweets. recording this quite close to the release. But by next, by next week, this is Friday now, by next week, um, we may very well find that we've forgotten about the current uh, outrage. So, so we haven't mentioned what it is yet. So whatever you're outraged about on Twitter, right. that's what we're talking it about. It was Helen Zillow, who is one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter, by the way. And she follows me, so there we go. Um, she's one of my favorite people to follow because she says these things off the cuff. And like she has, has no filter, so, do which you is think, great. Do you and think then, it's always off the cuff? Yes. No, I think she's very intuitive. She's like, ah, this idea sounds good. Let me talk about it quickly. Uh, so she, she, there's an insinuation that she said, uh, some parts of colonialism had positive effects. Now, I tend to disagree with that. Jonathan does agree with that. So even we don't agree on this. But, mm. um, yeah, so we have a guest to talk about what he thinks the real crux of the matter is. Yeah. So, um, you know, she, the, the the main tweet that, that caused the trouble was for those claiming legacy of colonialism was only negative, only in capital letters. Think of our independent judiciary, transport infrastructure, piped water, etc. And, um, yeah, it's, it's caused um, massive outrage. Everyone is very upset because it's now a justification of colonialism. Not everyone, Jonathan. Please, some people are outraged. Everyone. Twitter does not mean anything. Everyone's in this everyone's gone absolutely. Everyone, absolutely, every single last person. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and Ramon, do you want to introduce our guest for the week? Indeed. So our guest is Vessel van Rensburg. Uh, he's a South African living in London at the moment. He did an LB at Tucky's, and he was the youngest member of the TRC investigations unit. Uh, specifically investigating the massacres of uh, Sebo King and Boy Patong. And he left South Africa in 1998 and is currently the head of digital marketing at Trinity Mirror in London. So, Vessel, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Uh, thank you very much for having me. No, the pleasure is all out. So, I mean, Jonathan, we had um, a plan to have a show about colonialism and the effects of it yeah. for quite a while now. And then... Yeah. Auntie Helen comes out and just like destroys all our momentum. So we had to jump into it quickly. Yeah, no, and here we are. Here we are discussing it and uh, hopefully uh, some useful discussion rather than what we've seen over the last couple of days. Indeed, which... even between us because we disagree on this. Yeah, I think we do. I think yeah, because you're wrong. But anyway, um, <laughs> nevertheless, Vessel, uh, once again, thank you. Um, so this, this furore over colonialism and infrastructure um, – how useful is it really, if you think about it? Um, well, okay, yeah. So I, I have to say, I, when I started tweeting about this, I only saw the one tweet of Helen. Um, as often is the case with Twitter, it kind of, uh, you grab onto one tweet and you, and you get things out of context. But in the, in the tweet that most people uh, were referring to when they expressed their outrage, uh, she mentioned something about... Uh, not everything was bad about colonialism, and she mentioned, I think, pipes or whatever, something about infrastructure. Um, and I, th I, I'm actually one of the people that thinks she's wrong, but not for the reason that most 
other people say she's wrong. Um, so, uh, and I, and I think this, this whole case is, a, is, a, is a great example of, uh, how South Africans misunderstand their history and also of philosophical Um, yeah, and I think we can unpack that a bit. Um. We're gonna have to. Uh, we're gonna have to just restart a little bit there. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, Vessel. It, it it stopped numerous times. So let's go to audio if that's possible, and then can we just? I'll just ask the question again. Okay. Is that all right? That's fine. Yeah. Yep. Let me, uh, sorry let me about that. It. From the time you answered. Cool. Ready to go. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so I just want to firstly say that the the, the thing was we we're going to talk about today is specifically referencing one tweet that she sent. She sent actually quite a few, but it was the one where she mentioned, I think, pipes and that not everything bad about colonialism was bad. Hence the the thing about infrastructure and colonialism. But she actually said quite a few other things, which were which were interesting as well. Which a lot of which I actually disagreed with, but not with the reason most South Africans are disagreeing with her. And I think it, this is a great case. To unpack how South Africans misunderstand their history and also are con- confused philosophically. Uh, this whole thing about colonialism and, in, and infrastructure and whether colonialism was good or bad. So, so what do you mean by we we are? What do you mean by the fact that we are ignorant about our history, so to speak? I mean, we know what happened, right? Um, so, are you talking about the effects of that? Well, okay, so. I think most people that, that criticized her were co- completely correct in stating that colonial, uh, colonialism in general, especially as experienced in Africa, was mostly uh, kind of extractive. In other words, you'd have uh, uh, these colonial governments being set up that were basically only doing the min- bare minimum to keep order and to uh, export products back to what they would call the, the mother country. Um, and I and 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 that, that critique of colonialism, which is the kind of criticism lots of people leveled against her, is completely correct. But the problem is, is in South Africa that wasn't the case. So, uh, so in, in for example, there's a paper out by uh, an African economist which shows that South Africa's uh, investment in infrastructure as a percentage of GDP during the National Party's rule was around 7%, while now it's only 3%. uh, And that that 7% for that whole period is an extraordinarily high figure. It beats all the World Bank averages and so forth. So... There's a, there's a, immediately, it, it, what everybody is talking about doesn't seem to apply to South Africa. So, so that's the first point, uh, which we could discuss. Um, All right. But the infrastructure is, it was, I mean, do you call it colonial if the Afrikaners did it? Because I wouldn't call the Afrikaners a colonial power as such. Yes, neither would. I, although you could say they have aspects of colonialism, but uh, but it's interesting to see that AfriForum has come out in support of Helen Zilli, which I'm very surprised about because they obviously don't know their own history. And I've also seen AfriForum tweet uh, things every now and again, which makes me think they are very much uh, new liberal in their thinking now, which I find interesting. But, um, yeah, yeah, so... But, but I mean, that's an important point, but it's also a point that Helen Zilli didn't make because Helen Zilli herself 
is a liberal and she won't, couldn't bring herself to, to say something that, that the apartheid government did was good. So she, she also referred to this nebulous kind of colonialism thing. And I think one of the big problems in South Africa is that people bunch apartheid and, and, and um, colonialism together as if it's the same thing and it's very different things. Uh, uh, and, and it's an example of how our, our, our history is very confused. And one of the results of that is that we are very focused on race instead of other things. Because if you look at the finer detail of South African history, you'll find lots of interesting like nuances and differences between whites, for example, around issues like colonialism and, um, uh, and, and ways that you could find links between the different race groups uh, in terms of Afrikaner history and, and black South African history but which is shunned in favor of these very simplistic, broad-eyed, brushstroke ideas. Uh, Vessel, do you think maybe we could just have a couple of definitions? Because here it, it gets a bit complex in terms of what you're saying. Uh, number one is I don't think we're particularly yeah. steel-manning Helen's argument because we're now deciding what she meant by uh, co- colonialism, which time period she was referring to. Um, and things do get quite complex in the South African space where we say things like uh, there's been uh, oppression for 400 years. Uh, yeah. You know, the apartheid wasn't 50 years long. It was 400 years long and things like that. So it gets quite complex. So um, for the purposes of the discussion we're having, can we say what we think colonialism is? From my perspective, um, I'm not including uh, the sort of 50 years of apartheid and, and, and the nationalist government. Um, how do you see it? Um, no, I would, I would agree. I think the, the kind of thing that most people say when they dis- discuss colonialism is this idea of an outside power uh, coming in and uh, basically then extracting resources and so forth. Uh, and, uh, and that's colonialism. And that's, that, yeah, that's, I would agree with that definition. Okay, so um, if, if, if we're going with, with that kind of definition, what is the what is the central issue with with saying you know a, a bunch of people came in uh, they kind of stormed into the country did whatever they wanted to uh, in most parts of the world uh, that's how colonialism worked you know they didn't really care about the natives uh, in 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 some instances uh, killed off many of the people who were the native inhabitants uh, but. Just by the fact that they move to that area, they take with them uh, their, 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 for example, knowledge or infrastructure that that creates. They take with them their culture. That automatically means that something exists in that space that didn't exist before. So, yeah. so uh, if if we're if we're going to have an honest discussion about uh, a potential good that may have come and it it may have been unintentional it may have only come about many years or decades later um I, I, you know i think i think it's it's dependent on on what the specifics are but but what is the the fundamental problem with making the kind of argument that that Helen Zeta and other people have made frankly we had david bullard on the show who got fired for making similar arguments yeah well look um I mean, I, where I agree with this argument is, is that I, I think that uh, that cultures and languages and, uh, are 
are basically, uh, for lack of a better word, precious. Uh, and, you know, the whole idea of nationalism comes from what they call the rom- romanticism. So it's a very romantic idea, the idea of, of societies and cultures uh, forming nations. And so I think there is something uh, wrong when some out- big outside force just comes and comes in and just changes everything or just by just by by doing that. So in that sense, I I agree with the, the kind of outrage and the hurt that people feel. Uh, when when think something like colonialism is brought up, but uh, but if you look at Africa's case, it's a very peculiar. When the so-called Dutch came to 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 to, to the Cape, um, I mean, it was never the Dutch government that decided we're going to colonize South Africa, right? They wanted to go east and they wanted to provide food stuff for their for their ships, right? There mm-hmm. was an industrial dispute. Uh, they had a bunch of uh, f- uh, farmers f- uh, working for them to supply these ships, working as indentured labor, which is a kind of a form of light slave labor, um, who had a, they had industrial dispute. And these guys went freelance and said, you know, we're not going to work for Dutch each India company, which was like Walmart with gunships, basically. Um, and then uh, and that's how the colonization of South Africa started without the 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 force uh, and the 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 kind of uh, policy of a state behind it it was it was ordinary workers who were, were being exploited that's the start of colonialism in South Africa so it's it's extremely complex topic in South Africa's case and something that most people uh, don't engage with all right so let's start well let's let's actually start with the uh, with the with the premise at hand so did colonialism actually build infrastructure that has been useful to South Africa. And you would argue that in South Africa's case, it's a bit different from other African countries. And you would argue perhaps, yes, there was some positive infrastructural aspects of colonialism. Am I being generous? Yeah. Well, look, look, let me first say this. You know, the, the ANC was heavily influenced by the South African Communist Party and they b- brought up the Freedom Charter and they said South Africa belongs to everybody that lives in, in it, right? Right. And, uh, uh, and uh, and so the when the ANC talked about South Africa, they talk, talked about because they couldn't they and that's kind of under the influence of the of the South African Communist Party. So I mean that's that's, that's just quite a, a, an interesting aside. But um, my point is is that. Africa and what I think is what problematic about the rest of Africa and problematic with, with left discourse is that Africa has not had a nationalist moment and that the country uh, countries tend to uh, uh, well nation states are, are in my opinion extremely important for countries to develop but yet we have a discourse of black nationalism of African nationalism, which claims to be nationalistic, but actually is crosses borders, which is kind of global in its scope, right? And it's actually the kind of the kind of philosophy of an elite, right? And uh, and which is one of the reasons why many African countries, that even though they claim they're African nationalists, have not developed, uh, right? Um, and I think what's in- interesting about Afrikaner nationalism is that I think it's a, it's an authentic form of nationalism. Now, I, I don't pretend that everything that nationalists have done is good. In the early uh, 20th century, 
or 19th century when uh, it started in Europe. It was nationalism was seen as a left wing movement, uniting ordering, ordinary people against uh, corrupt European elite. Uh, but then we know what happened later on uh, in, in, with Nazism and stuff. So it, it's a double edged sword. But the thing is, you need nationalism to be able to mobilize a state and to have, have a strong state and for the and and essential for, for de- development. And if you look at what uh, the Afrikaner nationalists did, although it was for Afrikaners, mainly, not even mainly for whites, you know, uh, it was basically for Afrikaners, they, a lot, uh, that they, they did not take the infrastructure to the, to the Netherlands or whatever. They basically, or, or the capital, they invested it inside the country uh, to build roads, railways, um, ESCOM, one of the world's biggest uh, power uh, generators, and, and so forth. Okay, so uh, two things for me there. Number one is that seems to fight against the argument that there benefits from colonialism because, I mean, you just cited uh, ESCOM, not everyone will love as an example, but until 20 years ago, you could have happily cited it around any dinner table and no one would have fought with you that ESCOM was a good example of a really well-functioning utility which provided a good service at a good price. Um, it, so you've given an example there and, and a couple of examples of things that happened as a result of uh, this nationalism, this colonialism. Um, and once again, I'm, I'm, I know I'm harping on it, but I'm, I'm going back a bit to the, okay, so where is the nothing good came out of colonialism? Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying nothing good came out of yeah. colonialism. And by the way, I want to say, I don't think you can call Africa you could call Afrikaner nationalism colonialism because it was an anti-colonial movement in and of itself. But, um, uh, 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 but, to but it, was an, it was anti-British colonial, right? So, so it's, 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 it's just, there were, it was the one group of guys who you could argue settled here fighting against the other group of guys who came along a little bit later and were like, you know, we, we also want a piece of the pie. Um, yeah, I mean that's 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 a simplistic way of seeing it, but I mean, and uh, nationalism, as defined originally, has got certain specific characteristics, and uh, I mean, Afghan nationalism ticks all ticks all those those boxes. And one of the big characteristics of nationalism is that it kind it kind of uh, looks after its own in the sense of its poorest and its destitute, and it it sees its it, it's it's a it, it tends to be a democratic movement within the group. It sees its, itself as part of, uh, of that group. Um, um, and all of these things are important things that we need in Africa. Um, uh, so, sorry, I don't know if I'm answering. No, I, I, yeah, um, I think, I, think I, I, I kind of guess your point. So yeah. in order to develop a country, uh, maybe not today, but maybe a while ago, you needed a, a sense of identity, which is nationalism. And we did it along racial lines in South Africa. And the Afrikaners were the ones in power at the time. And because they were nationalistic, they actually developed the infrastructure for themselves, for particularly for Afrikaners, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. So colonialism itself does not supply infrastructure because it's extractive, which I tend to agree with. However, the nationalistic Tendencies of the Afrikaners produce the infrastructure. Therefore, Helen Zilla is incorrect in her statement. Yeah, no, I, I had said at the time I dis- disagree with her statement, but not for the reason everybody else is saying. But 
just, but just to go, one thing where she might have a point is just to, to, to give you an example of how complex these things can be. A very important component of Afrikaner nationalism was played by companies like uh, Sunlam, right? Yeah. And uh, the now, now Afrikaners, Afrikaners used to be poor, uneducated hillbillies, right? Had the, the skill to to run that the, the, the chief financial officer, the first one of Sunlam, wasn't an Afrikaner. It was a Scot, right? Because Afrikaners didn't have the skill, right? Um, so, you know, you can't say everything about uh, a contact with this colonial other is bad, right? Um, you can sometimes appropriate some of it and use it. To your, so, I mean, are we going to reject uh, Christianity uh, because it's well, uh, Christianity is colonial by par excellence? Well, I think this is the whole point. This is the whole point that she was she was making. I, I, you know, just to to put it in into context, uh, as far as I understand. Helen Ziller goes off to Singapore for a couple of weeks, uh, is shown around Singapore, a whole bunch of things. Uh, you'll note uh, one of the tweets that was uh, ignored by everyone was a photograph she took, obviously, in some museum exhibition, whereby they showed some sort of computer games that kids play in, in, in Singapore, all about sort of taking responsibility for yourself and being accountable. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's convenient to ignore these things, which we have uh, a problem within our country uh, it's very obvious today the first for the first time uh, well not the first time because you could argue jacob zuma but for the first time our constitutional court says to a politician you know you screwed up and you're going to be responsible for it personally um, which is fantastic uh, but we don't have a culture of, of of accountability she goes to singapore she gets assumptively this tour um she gets told the history of Singapore more deeply than she probably understood it before. And she's coming back. Uh, she's literally in the airport as she comes back and is reflecting on the successes of this other country from her perspective. Now, she may not be a hundred percent correct and, and, and all of these, all of these things. And, and, and obviously uh, the point is up for debate. Uh, but, that's exactly what she's done. She's turned around. If you look at the stream of, of messages that she's posted, she's turned around and said, these are the things she thinks Singapore has done correctly. They have recognized their colonial past. They have recognized the evils of that past, but they've also recognized some of the the good, if you can call it that. People don't like good because they judge it in a moral sense. But the, the, the spin-offs that have resulted that we want to keep out of that. And, and, once again, I'm, I'm back to, you know, where you are right now in, in saying that there are potentially some things that result out of it. Uh, and the numbers are, are numerous and they're very difficult. It's very difficult to gauge because, uh, you know, it's it's been said we've been having a discussion on our, our group that we have. Uh, and it's difficult to say, you know, if, if no one lands here in the 1600s, uh, South Africa is completely ignored for some reason. Uh Untouched. Uh, in 2017, is South Africa the exact same country it is now? Arguably not. Uh, in fact, almost definitely most not the same country. Sorry, you were going to say? No, no. No, I say most definitely not. Yeah, but but, but um, is South Africa? You know, you know the things that Helen Ziller refers to. Does South Africa have 
the level of infrastructure, you know, she talked about piped water. She talked about, uh, 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 I think, just, a justice system. Judiciary system, um, yeah. uh, You know, it, does South Africa have those things? She went on with someone else to make a comment about uh, modern antibiotics and things. Uh, does it have those things? And, and you know, they're, they're, it's difficult to say because uh, some one person said it's, it's sort of in an alternate sort of factual world in a post-fact world or in, in, in another universe, essentially, where no one touches South Africa, we would never know. Um, I'll argue that there are some places uh, across the world and there are some cultures and peoples that were untouched by colonialism and after colonialism untouched by Western culture, and they're not better off and they haven't reached the levels of progress that the rest of the world at least those who adopted Western values and many of those who were colonized, they haven't reached those levels of productivity and success. Well, I don't, yeah, I kind of agree and don't agree. Um, you know, you know, um, so, uh, so Africa had, or Africa countries had generally, uh, generally the same level of development bars of Africa, put South Africa aside hmm. as South Asia, uh, 30 years, 40 years ago. Um, those countries now, are streets ahead of most African countries to our north, right? The difference is, is that Western, uh, that most African countries look far more to the West and to, and to the colonial, uh, ex-colonial countries than those Asian countries. Uh, all of these African countries speak the languages of, uh, the colonizers, while, uh, Malaysia, for example, Malaysia and, Ga- and uh, Ghana's um, population was, uh, uh, or GDP was more or less the same at the time of independence, which was more or less the same time. Um, and uh, Malaysia has taken an extreme nationalist position, right? They call the native uh, Malay cultural people uh, sons of the soil, Bumiputras, right? So it's it's basically national party redux. Um, but they've 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 developed economically. They're not speaking English, right? As their as their lang- language of of uh, uh, of government. Now, um, so I, I I disagree with almost everything that Helen Zellis said, except for actually the point she made on the on the language issue on English. She one of the tweets she mentions English. Now, that realization of her the importance of English, I would say, is actually converse. Funny enough, a nationalist realization. You can't have a country where it's uh, one language and ordinary people and the kids at home speaks another language, right? That it's, the, it's a recipe for inequality, for social division, uh, and, and, so, and so forth. And there's not an example of a country that's being colonized where the majority of the population is, the, is basically uh, the original po- population. Uh, like South, South Africa is, that speaks, uh, that uses a, 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 the, the colonial powers language as the main language that has a successful economy or or is equal, right? It just doesn't exist. Yeah. The only the, the only the only uh, exception to this rule is Ireland. But what happened in Ireland? You had the potato famine. Million, not millions, but hundreds of thousands of people died, and the poor Irish parents taught their children. Uh, leave the country. So, sorry, just uh, repeat that. We had, a, we had a, a Skype breakup. So the you were saying the, the about the Irish uh, children, yeah. what they taught their uh, children. So, so, so yeah, so the except for Ireland, and uh, they 
the Irish parents taught their children English because they wanted them to immigrate to the United States. So basically within two generations, everybody became English-speaking, and then Ireland started developing. So my point is not that English is good, but you need to have one national language which everybody speaks, right? Right. Uh, that is a nationalist principle, right? Um, and so, so I, I, I'm glad to see that uh, Helen Zell has got some nationalist principles, but um, but with the rest, most of everything else she said, I disagree. So, um, so let's, let's go back to nationalism. So your argument is that nationalism actually uh, is is the reason why we have infrastructure in South Africa, specifically Afrikaner nationalism, and you argue that other African countries did not have nationalism. But, I mean, they did, in a way, didn't they? I mean, Julius Nyerere was a, a big nationalist. The problem is their policies were really shit. But a good essay to read is Franz Fanon's In the Wretched of the Earth. One part of it is the national question, yes. right? And he describes these people calling themselves nationalists and how they fight amongst each other because normally the colonists came in and they only focused on one region or the capital because that's all they cared about. Yes. They didn't care and then that particular uh, capital it was in a certain area and people spoke a certain language. And anyway, they, were, they drew their own borders. And then these guys were uh, benefited. And so they were speaking the language of national, nationalism, but actually it was just this one group was benefiting. Um, and he talks about corruption, about elites. And you can see it now in the organization of African unity. It's basically a talk shop of the, the elites of Africa, right? Yes. And uh, it's it's exactly what caused all the nationalist revolutions in the 1800s. Is everything that we what what uh, is forget. And that's the, the problem. It's defined in terms of race, and instead of saying it's it's Swana nationalism or. Uh, Zulu nationalism. It's exactly because it's defined so widely that you have this problem. Problem in Africa. It's not nationalism, basically. Right. It's a sort of ethnic nationalism in a way. No, it's not, it's not ethnic because uh, it, it's it's um, ethnic implies some kind of cultural uh, uh, kind of affinity, affinity and uh, shared history. Um, or about, uh, but if we look at the world today, I mean, North Korea is extremely nationalistic, but it's a crap place to live in, right? So, whereas South Korea is not, I mean, they're both nationalistic, but in, to different to different um, degrees. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying all national national states are. There's lots of factors that goes into developing a, a state, but I, I think a good uh, uh, it is it is almost always a a, a requirement um, to to have a nationalist phase in a, in a country's history. Uh, one other thing is I think, you know, you always hear, and I, I think you guys might be, but you always hear um, libertarians talking about Singapore or whatever. It's an extremely bad example to to compare it against any nation state because it's a city state. Yes. Um, and uh, by definition, is is it's quite easy to set up a, a city and then have finance and the regional uh, companies set up their head office in that city and then – be a success. It's much harder than to be next door, Malaysia, and a successful economy and to spread the wealth widely amongst the population. That is a much much bigger achievement. We should much rather look at Malaysia than we should look at Singapore. 
well, for South Africa, I would tend to agree, but all we look at is, well, nowhere really, treasury for how much money we can get very soon. I mean, there's no, there's no grand plan, I'm afraid, uh, for the ANC in the past decade. So, I mean, I agree with you. I, I, I keep saying, well, if only there was a precedent we could uh, follow, you know, somewhere in the world, and Malaysia is one of them, but no one mentions them at all in the, in the political discourse we have in this country. No. no. Not, no, and it's quite interesting, um, just because it, when it got its independence and from who it got its independence, I, I think it's a really interesting example. Right. So now, um, can I can I uh, uh, jump in? Uh, jump in. Um, okay. So, just the nationalism thing is 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 bothering me a little bit. Who who has got nationalism right? Oh, uh, well, I would say uh, almost their name is a successful nation state and they had a nationalist. I I, I, I tell you, I tell you why, because it kind of sounds like um, nationalism is uh, uh, it's a sort of repetitive thing that I keep bumping into. Um, uh, Nationalism is a great idea. Just nobody's done it properly. No, no. Hang on. Nationalism (laughs) has got a a long, long, long history. Right. So. You had the French Revolution, right? So, uh, uh, and uh, Fichte was like one of the, seen as the kind of father of, of, of nationalism, was a big German, was a big fan of uh, the French Revolution uh, until uh, Napoleon invaded Germany. And, um, and then he turned into a nationalist. And he kind of said, said you know, cosmopolitanism is is great, but how do we get there? We fir- you first need to make your own country work before you can make the world work, right? Um, and uh, and that was the, the ethos. You know when Garibaldi, who united Italy against their kind of uh, uh, what now I've only got enough cons with the royals. I want to say Ardlicus, the the royals yeah, the, in, in, in Italy. Yeah, the monarchy. He, um, when he came to London, he was. Yeah, the, the monarchy. When he came to London, he was seen as a left-wing re- re- revolutionary, and uh, the the monarchy over here were, were, were really scared. So, and, so nationalism was a was 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 a very important part in European development. Um, uh, and I mean, if you look at uh, people like Hegel and stuff, he saw the impact of nationalism and the the the, the, the power of the of the nation states bureaucracy that was brought to being because of it. Um, and what could be achieved through it? Now, of course, it's got extremely destructive power as well. But um, I, 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 I'm not saying what, what I'm saying applies now to Europe today. But but uh, but I'm talking about where where Africa is today. So, what do you make about the rise of nationalism in in the Western world at the moment, uh, with the rise of Donald Trump, uh, Brexit, that sort of thing? I mean, is it the type of it's nationalism that you that you see as, no, as helpful or not really? Because Russia was the one that kind of started a lot of it. Putin started it. Uh, uh, nationalism initially was a kind of reaction against empire and anti-colonial. And uh, Putin is basically trying to rebuild the, the Russian empire. Uh, so I don't think it's 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 and that is a, a excellent uh, sort of great example of, of nationalism. But I do think that. Um, liberal elites and stuff in the West have left their working class behind and has not uh, and, and, and 
and this is the re- this is kind of the reaction because of because of that. Um, so so yeah. So but it can have very nasty consequences. Right, because I mean, 2016 was the year between uh, globalism on one side and nationalism on the other side. Um, So, I mean, do you think nationalism actually has any point anymore? Because globalism has achieved a lot of the the good things that nationalism claims to have uh, promised. I don't think it it has achieved those things necessarily. Um, And uh, I think, uh, look, we might need to come to a point. Look, uh, climate change is a good example where you need to have people working together across nation states and stuff. But uh, other than that, I, I can't have yet to see a better vehicle for for addressing all kinds of issues, including inequality, than the nation state. So, so, so I don't think it's it's days done. But I think what the point I'm trying to make more importantly is that in in Africa's case. Nationalism, largely because of the contributions of people like Fanon and Sartre and whatever, and their ideology about nationalism, has been completely overlooked as a tool f- uh, 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 for develop for development. Another thing is, you know, the debate about xenophobia in South Africa, and I think it's it's kind of linked, right? A lot of the liberals and also Marxists and whatever uh, would say. Now, open borders, whatever. Now, colonialism is a form of extreme open borders in a way. Um, and, uh, and, and I think people are, are hypocritical. If you look at the economic uh, uh, literature around this case, around these cases, for example, in the UK, if the UK uh, has, uh, has a free movement inside the EU, which are lots of very developed countries and kind of semi-developed countries, and that has a, a small influence on the salaries of the of the poorest Brits, right? Right. The, the, people people use that as a as an argument to say, you know, the influence is not that big. Basically, it's all just racism and and, and so forth that these working class people are displaying against against immigrants. The the the, the thing though is is if there was no open open borders for the whole rest of the world, right? Then it wouldn't just be a small, insignificant kind of part of the working class who would who would pay a price in terms of of what kind of salary they could earn. It would be really significant and it would utterly change the country. So, so, so the the point I'm trying to make is I find a lot of this kind of cosmopolitan, wealthy, middle class people pontificating about poor the poor and also in South Africa. That they're so xenophobic. I just find it hip- hypocritical, um, especially if you're a left wing and you you want to uplift. If South Africa had a proper with proper healthcare, with and so forth, then and and had open borders, it would be impossible, right? So if you want to have a, a strong social social state, you can't have this kind of open immigration policy, right? And so, uh, well, if you want to have a social welfare state, you can't, which we have, uh, you can't, you can't have an open borders policy. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, no, but you, you, you can't. Um, but if you listen to the way a lot of people are, are going on on social media, you, would, you, you know, and a lot of people are, are left wing saying, oh, you know, uh, we should just have open borders, but it, it, it can't work that way. Well, yeah, I, I'm not sure if we agree on the reason why. I, I, I very much feel that we we can't have open borders because if you come to South Africa, for example, if we open the borders and, and you just come to South Africa from wherever you like, 
um, as the current situation exists uh, and you become uh, indigent, uh, essentially our system is set up so that the state then has to look after you, which means the taxpayers have to look after you, and we already have uh, a ridiculous burden on, 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 the, on the taxpayers. And that's no different in first world countries. The same argument applies to why America can't have uh, open borders. And, and the, the reason is the same. It's a, to, to an extent, there's a social welfare state. If you get rid of the social welfare state and you don't yeah. make the government responsible for looking after every individual and you, you make individuals responsible for themselves and communities responsible for themselves, uh, then you, you can open the borders all you like. It doesn't make a difference. If we go back a few hundred years, the borders made no difference because there was no government that when you didn't have health care, for example, though I'm sure it was not exactly health care, but when you didn't have health care, the government wasn't expected to provide it. Either you had it or you didn't have it, or you, you someone else helped you with it, or it's, it wasn't. So that's the, that's the issue around the, the open sort of borders argument. But I, I want to go back a little bit to something you said, which was in terms of successful, you know, nationalism and the success of nationalism, if if why does it have to be? Why do we have to have then nationalism at a state level? You've you already made the point that Singapore is a successful city, so uh, and we, you know I'm sitting next to an anarchist, so he'll say to me, I can have a successful neighbourhood. I don't need to worry about other neighborhoods or whatever. I, I might trade with them or do whatever I, I want. But why does it have to be at a country level? Uh, you mean, could we have like loads of smaller units? Yeah, well, why can't we have, uh, instead of having uh, 200 odd countries uh, at a nationalist, I assume you, you know, a utopian idea for yourself would be something whereby we have 200 nationalist states, each state looking after the best interests of their individuals. Um, but I'm saying, well, why don't we have rather 4,000 Singapores then? Well, I don't, in theory, I don't have a problem if if it works, but uh, I, I think, and I do think that bigger nation states tend to have the same problems that that supranational states have. It's harder to have equal societies, um, social cohesion in big states. So the the smaller the unit, in some ways, the better. So I don't really disagree, disagree in theory with 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 your with your mm. point. Um, is 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 that not more about homogeneity then? Because you, you know the examples that are commonly used is, uh, and one of the reasons for, for also shouting down these examples is if you use the Nordic countries uh, as examples of of sort of things a way to follow, and and everyone loves using them left right. You know, the left will tell you that they're socialist states. The right will tell you they're not socialist states. They're, you know, free free markets. Um, there's there's a little bit of, of truth in between. Um, the 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 point is is that they've got a, a relatively homogenous state in that the people are all very similar. They all speak the same language. They all have very similar cultural beliefs. Um, the with regards to the Nordic states, uh, the earning the earnings are very similar. It's, it's middle class and upwards. Um, it, so you know, it seems to work maybe as a principle when you've got homogeny like that. When you want what America likes to call the melting pot, or Canada calls the mosaic, you know, and I don't know, South Africa calls the rainbow nation. When you, when you've got large um, differences amongst your population, uh, it, it can it can it function? Can it work? 
Um, no, I think it's very difficult for, for for that to work. But I don't agree that I think the two most important aspects that needs to be in sync is uh, is culture and language. And I don't think your race or whatever is important. And I think you can even have different religions within within that broadly speaking. But you need uh, but but broad, uh, culture and language are the are, are the key things. Yeah, look at. Uh, I Sorry, agree with you on on race. I mean, because because race doesn't inform people. <laughs> it's this is the this is the whole problem with 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 attributing uh, motive and and just general uh, action to to race. Race doesn't generally inform how people do things, live their lives, etc. Um, and and that's one of the issues. I, I would disagree on the religion because that does inform the way people live their lives and and behave. Um, to it. it to an extent, yes. It, it depends. It depends on how secular the society yeah. is. How okay, fair enough. Is, 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 yes, yeah. That's why I love these type of conversations. We're talking about colonialism, and then now we're talking about what is the best way to run a country. Right? <laughs> it's quite interesting. So, Vessel, I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot here, I'm afraid to say, and uh, I'm not trying yeah. to bait you in any way. Do you think that if we didn't have Afrikaner nationalism in the form of apartheid, we would have far less infrastructure than we have at the moment in South Africa? And, you know these counterfactuals are so hard, but uh, if we just if we, if we just look at countries that were undeveloped that developed, like you know, China is a recent example. Yes. And uh, you know the UK when it when it did develop, it wasn't they didn't have liberal policies. They had it was very statist. It was very uh, uh, nationalistic in many ways. So I don't think you would have had the same drive to build ISCOR or ESCOM in the same way. Um, you mentioned earlier that 20 years ago we would have used ESCOM as a great example. Telcom is another great example. Do you know that South Africa had the fifth highest teledensity in the world in 1970, right? And that's including the so-called apartheid homelands, right? right. Um, and some of the and the, some of the lowest call, uh, calling costs, right? So, um, so. I don't think a liberal party would have kind of achieved that because according to liberal dogma, it's the free market's role to do these kind of things. So they won't invest as much money in them. And they would also, one of the important things about networks like telecommunication network is the wider it goes, the, the higher the value. It's exponential for everybody. Uh, and the problem with, with liberals is they normally focus their attentions on capitals and, and on big cities rather than spreading the network as wider. And so in, in the end, the value of the overall network is not as high. And um, so, um, so no, I, I think it would have been very different, but exactly how it would have looked, it's impossible to say. Um, I mean, uh, you made an interesting point in that um, if, you, if you look at the countries that have developed over the past century, none of them actually developed under liberal principles. So do you think the time has come for African countries to be extremely nationalistic? I mean, I think Rwanda is doing quite well in that regard. Uh, they're, they're, they're quite nationalistic at the moment. And funny enough, it's quite nationalistic, isn't it? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Um, so, 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 uh, so, I, I would, I would say yes, yeah. Um, it is, it is, it is time. It's time for Africans to, to, to genuinely look after uh, ordinary Africans instead of, of of just pandering to an elite. Right. I mean, and and the question of actually choosing good leadership, I think, I think that's been one of the huge failings of post-colonial Africa in a way. Yeah. 
yeah, it's 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 all connected. So, I mean, one of the things that I've been really interested in is the new kind of area of, of social capital, which is an area of sociology which kind of just asks the question, uh, how much do you trust people of your own country that you don't personally know, right? Oh, yes. Um, and and, um, and there's been loads of studies done. Uh, so, for example, na- nationalism strongly correlates with high social capital, uh, and um, all kinds of other things like low corruption correlates with, with, with high social capital. And social capital is very low across most African countries. Um, oh, that's so. So we're not very trustworthy. Uh, we don't trust each other very much at all. No, no. Basically, this whole idea of Ubuntu is a myth, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I said that years ago. I got, I got torn apart on Twitter. But, yes, I agree with you. And, and also, also uh, uh, you know, uh, a, lo- a lot, a lot of um, of culture in African countries is about your your family and uh, your immediate people around you, and that's quite normal human behavior. Sure. It's called re- reciprocal uh, altruism. But the the big difference that nationalism made is that it made your community, your imagined community, the left. Some people on the left called it the imagined community, but it doesn't matter if it's imagined; it's still a community. It's uh, much wider. Um, and it has all kinds of effects. So the, from people stopping at red lights to reducing corruption. Um. Right. I mean, I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's the thing with um, the, the Slav well, Scandinavian countries, rather. Uh, hegemony is extremely strong there. Everyone looks the same. Everyone believes in the same values and principles. And so they, they have no problem in, 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 in working towards a common goal collectively. I do find in a lot of other countries that's not the case, and and people misdiagnose that as as like socialism or you know socialism in Denmark works well, but it's not socialistic in the slightest. They just have well, a, a popula- a group of people or the population who believe in the same thing. Well, they uh, depends on your definition of socialism. They're very heavily taxed, and uh, the government spends uh, cares you know free education. Well, the government doesn't, free healthcare. The, the government doesn't own the means of production, like in Venezuela. No. Uh, that's that's socialism to me. You can have a, a, a very hardcore free market with a generous welfare system. It doesn't make it socialist. Well, okay, we were calling about semantics. You could also say, for example, that uh, Somalia during about ten years ago was the example of per- perfect uh, libertarianism. Um, with, well, it is uh, in a way. It doesn't mean it, it doesn't mean it's great, but yeah. Um, so, so I mean, that's extreme. I, I, I would say that the Scandinavian countries and even Britain to extent with the NHS has got elements of socialism in a, a built on a capitalist economy. Um, well, I think, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders would agree with you. It's uh, what democratic socialism. But, uh, it, yeah, I, I, look, we, we are arguing definitions. I, I think I, I agree with Ramon on the, the definition there. But, but, but either way. With regards to South Africa, you've you, you know you've made a lot of points about about nationalism and this you know the successes you believe that it it brought for a minority uh, in this country during the apartheid years because that's how it was designed. Um, mm. uh, we discussed the the problem with this, uh, you know the, the the community that's where the people have all different uh, sort of wishes and wants. Um, and visions for their future, uh, and you know, you just said, you know, Ubuntu's basically nonsense. Um, wh- where do we go in South Africa? Because 
we've now obviously got a great little Twitter storm and, and a little bit of outrage going. Um, we'll have uh, we'll have um, the DA shortly disciplining Helen Ziller um, like she's some child. Um, and uh, we we we. We are now going to even further probably have as a public discourse because we've 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 got you know the greatest philosophers of of our South African times you know it's 2017 of course um, uh, denouncing all of all of this talk so we can't we can't have a, an honest conversation we're going to move into the uh, realm of there is no uh, good that came out of colonialism and there's no spin-offs and all the rest of it it it, it is all evil um, while I type my message on Facebook using my iPhone uh, and all of these things, um, which, which I believe are, are part of all part of a greater system. Um, so how does South Africa, if, 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 if we wanted to be a nationalist state, uh, how do we get there? Because to me, it's, it's, it's not possible. Well, one way, one way for sure, if you keep on just, uh, talking about race, you're not going to get to it because South Africa is made up of people with different races. So this kind of uh, obsession with with the race and especially race is such an essentialist thing, right? That you that that, that you can't change. Uh, uh, that will yeah, we'll never get there if that continues. Um, so I'm I mean, that's, I'm quite depressed about South Africa's prospects, um, uh, and I. I don't have any easy solutions. I think uh, anybody that predicts where South Africa is going to be even 10 years from now is a, is a brave, brave person. Um, well, I'll be a brave person. <laughs> Remind you, want to be brave? Must I predict what's happening in 10 years' time? Well, um, I'll, I'll, go, I'll give it a bash. Okay, you go first. Well, um, if I, if I uh, predicted on the, I suppose, positive uh, possibilities – uh, in 10 years' time, the ANC is no longer in power. The DA is. The problem with that is by then the DA has become uh, ANC light, uh, and it'll be very questionable whether that results in actual progress and success. So that would be what where I think we're going to end up. Well, I don't know if the ANC will leave power, even if they lose an election. No, that's that's uh, that's. I suppose that's a possibility. Right. I mean, well, that's about it, really. Um, <laughs> so, okay, well, yeah, so we screwed, Vessel. Thank you for letting us know. Uh, very, yeah, so, so we, let me say what I think might, could could happen. Sure. Is, um, I, think the, I think one thing that could very well happen is the South African economy deteriorates further. And uh, because of that, uh, the country's balance of payments deteriorates further, so the currency weakens further. And it goes into uh, basically a negative feedback loop, and there's a, a massive re- recession. And if I think, if you see, if you look at the ANC, how how already uh, people are uh, organising, although it's not admitted, around ethnic lines. This 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 kind of yep. if there's such crisis, this will in- just increase all of this and all the tensions around that. And I even think that South Africa as a unitary state is 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 not guaranteed. Well, I think that's a positive thing then. I mean, if we have if we have homelands across the whole country without a, a federal state, I think that's quite good. I don't see a problem. I think the how we get there could be extremely ugly. Yeah, uh, just uh, on that point. So this is you've obviously had some background here in terms of in terms of this this type of stuff and and the violence related to it. Um, 
there's a there's a theory, a relatively common theory, that in '94 we didn't, uh, and '93 really, we we didn't actually uh, avoid a civil war. We just postponed it. Um, your thoughts on on that, given what you've just said? Uh, if 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 that turns out. Uh, to be the case, it's not because we could have avoided the, sec- the second part of the war. It's because of our own f- folly, really. Um, and I think everybody's guilty, including people like who, who think they're the last people that are guilty. Or, uh, people like, for example, uh, uh, progressive Afrikaners and uh, and people like Afriforum, because I think everybody must read South Africa, South African history, where we came from, and how we ended up where we did. Um, what is the one fundamental blind spot of these groups? Now that you mention them, um, I, I think pe- people, for example, uh, just just to take Afriforum as an example, I've heard Aaron Roots, for example, say he's he's now a very big free marketeer. State must have a small role, and and so forth, um, and uh, and on the other hand, I heard the the Previous previous editor of the Mail and Guardian said to me he was thought it was great news that Siemens was taking over a part of Telcom's role because Telcom was now so inefficient and corrupt. Um, the, the problem with both these positions is is that without the state creating a platform for society to function properly, you have no hope whatsoever. And the South African people, South Africans with with the, the resources, basically the cosmopolitan class have given up on the state, basically. They think that the private sector is going to solve all the problems, and it's not It's not going to happen. And you know what? We were very close to a terrible war in 1994, and one of the reasons why we didn't have it to the extent is because the, the state was powerful and enough to, to keep order to an extent, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, the state is, it doesn't have that power anymore. Um, so if, if things get nasty now, it, it could be it gets really, 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 really ugly. Well, I mean, I, I sort of, but I mean, I, I do accept Afriforum and, and them's arguments. I mean, assuming that the state is a force for good, it's not anymore. It hasn't been for the past, arguably, centuries. But the past, yeah, but the past it, 10 years it, have been really the idea, The idea of a state, the problem is you have to fix the state. If you can't fix the state, then you have a, you have a, have a problem. The state needs to work. Well, yeah, I think I think we stayed in the obvious, yeah, but we can't force people to vote in a certain way. I'm afraid. <laughs> no, we we can't, but we can uh, change change our our, our arguments. Um, and uh, if, you, if you, most South Africans think the private sector is the solution to everything, um, to most things it is. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I have to say we're we obviously at odds. I mean, we, you know, we we could probably go on for hours, but we're obviously at odds on 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 this because I think both of us do feel that it is the solution to most things. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm going to sort of say that I don't think there's ever been a state. You know, you say we have to fix it. Well, there's never been a fixed state. Every state that's ever existed has, from the time it started to exist, has had things that needed to be fixed because it, it is by its very essence dysfunctional. And no. the free market, the free market. Uh, that iPhone you were just talking about just now, you yeah. wouldn't have had it if it wasn't for states, right? Why? Um, why? Because states were fundamental to base, to, to humanity's development. Um, it created the security 
the platform for economic growth. Um, Okay, Everything we- but but where is where is that different to where a libertarian would say, well, yeah, it's fine, have a state to protect the borders, to have police, and to enforce the law for, through a judiciary. So there you've got your security. You can now set up your iPhone factory knowing that no one's going to storm in in the middle of the night, steal your stuff, or murder you, and make sure that that never happens. Um, because 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 you also need a few other things. You need public roads. If roads are private. People will tax you. They'll extract rents from 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 that to mm-hmm. such an extent that the economy will never take off. The same goes with telecommunications networks, right? Um, so, uh, but the, we, the we have, in South Africa we have a telecommunications. Let's get into this a little bit. We don't have that much time. But um, in South Africa we now have a telecommunications net, network that was developed by the private sector. Completely, it's the cellular network. It's uh, and I'm sorry, I'm going to leave out the fact that the government has at times owned portions of the of the companies because it's never been in power in control of those boards. Um, and the cellular the cellular network has been set up almost entirely by private companies. So why do why you know there's a there's an example of the state doesn't get so involved. So uh, telecommunications is a really interesting example, and I'm glad you, glad you mentioned. Mm. Uh, it's an example that the only way to have a free market in telecoms is through regulation, right? So, you, so which is kind of contradictory. So, um, very so much so. If, uh, uh, yeah, it, it works. It works like the, the biggest network networks are by nature. If you add a little bit to a network, it just exponentially creates uh, more economic value, right? So. The biggest network would always swallow smaller ones. That's what happened in America with AT&T, where it, there was loads of uh, regional networks, and over the years it quickly swallowed all the rest, and it was huge. And then America said, "Okay, we're going to because they had this huge beam off. Uh, instead of nationalizing it, because they're bunch, they're, they've got this ideo- ideology that you can't nationalize things, they said, "Okay, you you stay a private company, but we're going to put regulations on you of, about what you are allowed to charge." Right, so American local phone calls for many years were totally free. You didn't pay for low. But AT&T was making such big profits because there was one network that they didn't care that they were regulated this way. Then later on, the Reagan came and then you had this ideology, no, we have to have a free market in every aspect of our economic life. And then uh, they, what they did was they realized, actually, it doesn't make sense to have two networks in the same area because then you have two pipes going down the same road and you dig up, it's kind of duplication of economic cost. Let's split it by, the, the, U, the US I think was split into six different regions. Uh, so you had six different networks, each competed. And then at some point they said, oh, let's just lift all the regulations, let these guys compete. And what happened? The biggest, the, one, the ones that moved first started swallowing the rest, right? So the, 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 the point I'm making mm. is that uh, in certain avenues of life, it makes this what called market failure. It just doesn't work. You need you need the it, it, it doesn't must not sit in the private sector. And telecommunications is a great example. Now in South Africa's case, you have the worst of both worlds. You have a company like Telcom, which used to be state owned, now is partially private, partially state owned, right? And uh, and and bad regulation. Um, and uh, you, you, South Africa's got some of the highest telecommunication costs in the world. While it had used when it was wholly state-owned, it had some of the cheapest and one of the world's most extensive networks. Ex- um, 
Yeah, all right. I I don't know the the data on 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 the in the extensiveness. I I'm not sure how how easy it was to get a landline in Soweto. <laughs> well, and what we were uh, comparing to. Do you know you know what I'm saying? The world was less developed, so uh, to be extensive back then well, was perhaps easier than being first, extensive first now. density, which means the fifth highest telephones per member of the population. And I'm not talking about the just the white population. That is that is quite something. Yeah. All right. Look, uh, uh, can I just use one more example? Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, Korea, fastest uh, broadband in the world, super cheap. Who owns the, the the backbone? No telecommunications company. All three big telecommunications companies in in Korea are partially owned by by the state, and uh, they need permission from the state to connect to any building and so forth. And it's got it's got this fantastic telecommunications network. I mean, and Vessel, I mean, I agree that the state can be a force for good and, and a pragmatically, I'm an anarchist, yes, but pragmatically I do see reasons for the state. The problem is we've got a shit state, so I'm not going to trust it with anything at the moment. And until it improves and shows that it can uh, behave itself for, on behalf of everyone else, well, fuck it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with them. <laughs> but the problem with that is, right, so I agree with you. Let's say we privatize electricity in South Africa completely, right? Yeah. So then suddenly you have a highly competent electricity provider that says really it's, it's really uneconomical to to ship any really because these guys in Johannesburg are very wealthy. I can charge them X, and I'm just going to focus on, on, on that. And forget about Alexandra, right? And um, And – what it will lead to is just more inequality, and it'll lead to basically. But that's not how the, that's not how the free market works. Yeah, it'll lead the, to com- it'll lead the to free market works that someone will go. No one's providing Alex with power. I will. Oh yeah. Yep. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so have infrastructure spending across the rest of Africa, right? And see what percentage of the infrastructure spending across Africa is private, right? Uh, I go, uh, I'll send you a paper on, on, on so, that. So, so, so there I'm going to agree with you on state stability, you see. So, so there's the example of um, why a country doesn't go into the Congo. Uh, and the, the answer is very simply because they have to invest millions and millions of assumptively dollars to go in there uh, into a market they may not necessarily know. And the, they cannot be guaranteed security for a couple of reasons. Number one, there isn't security. And number two is you've got a corrupt state. Um, in, in, if you If you sort those problems out, the public sector floods in and sorts out a lot of problems. Uh, well, not sorts out a lot of problems. It's a bad example, and we're going to get into another argument about it. But um, uh, the public sector gets involved. I, I think. I think if you if you if you can't guarantee companies' security, and I really agreed that that's part of responsibility of the state, you don't get them. Yeah, but you know what? Companies and I only have one purpose: they need to make a profit, and that's fine, right? But the, 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 there are certain things, uh, for example, security that you've mentioned, and other things as well, that that takes time, and where that's where the, the state needs to step in to create the platform. Yeah, I mean, we can go on about this for yeah, forever. We, as I, mean, I said, hours. I do agree with you in some ways. Other ways, I disagree. I think it depends entirely on on the morality of the of the people in the state at a particular time. I'm afraid. Um, but if we can work to not work together, listen to me. I sound yeah, like a fucking Oprah. If we can work together to make the yes, state can, to make the state a better place, <laughs> I think your argument holds a lot of water. 
Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> unconvincing, unconvincing. Well, Vessel, well, thank you. So, so Hedenzilla was wrong. Thank you. I was right. Thanks, Wit. No, we haven't, um, we haven't established Nationalism that. is what caused the, the surge in infrastructure spending. And, uh, the reason why we are different from the rest of Africa is because they haven't had a, a, a huge nationalistic, um, what do you, what do you call it? Surge, Germany. Suppose, yeah. 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 Basically, that's it. I think that makes a lot of sense, and I tend to agree with you in that one. But nevertheless, words, any last words? No, just thanks for joining us, Russell. It's uh, much appreciated. Uh, yeah, thanks for your insights. As we always say on the show, you don't have to. We don't have to agree, but it's nice to get uh, differing views. Yeah, I mean, and if you visit the motherland one day, please come in studio. We'll be happy to host you. Great. Okay. Thank, thanks a lot for for having me. I, I enjoyed it. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. Thank you so much, Russell. Speak soon. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, some interesting discussion. I mean, interesting. I mean, the the fundamental point is that his colonialism to him, and I tend to agree, was extractive. the The institutions in place that they put in place were, were very ancillary, and they only applied to certain sex, sections of the population. Right? Mm. Um, in South Africa, people did not have piped water after colonial. They didn't have an independent judiciary. They didn't have whatever other examples were given. So colonialism itself is not the reason why we do better. He argues nationalism, nationalism, specifically Afrikaner nationalism, is the reason. And that holds a lot more water in my eyes than than the colonialism well, argument. However, many people would conflate the two and say both of it's colonialism, which is not true. Yeah, I, look, I, I, I wouldn't conflate the two. But I, I firstly, I don't think uh, colonialism is always reductive. Uh, America was colonized. Uh, it wasn't reductive uh, in any way. They didn't, uh, reductive is probably the wrong word, but it wasn't ex- 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 exploitatory of, uh, the land necessarily for, for no value to that land. So no one, the, 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 the folks that went over, the Spanish and then the British and whoever went over to the U.S. wasn't, uh, plundering for resources, mainly because it doesn't have great resources. Um, but, but it's it, you know they they went over there they took their culture and I think that this that's what this comes down to for me this is uh, understanding that uh, with with colonialism uh, came the West and that's what colo- colonialism brought to a lot of the world and um, that's what uh, globalism now brings to a lot of the world um, there are problems obviously uh, and it's it's not perfect and that's so that's not to criticize this is the problem is everyone and everyone loves you know jumping to the not the everyone, nazi example but some um, some people some people um some people um and uh, the for me it's uh, the the reality is is that places that uh, have ultimately changed over to western values whether it be immediately whether it be over time uh, are better places to live for everyone regardless of race group uh, and regardless of of everything else, and uh, it's back to some cultures are just better than others. Well, I mean, I agree about the cultures thing. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Western cultures absolutely shit. It's got, I mean, it's it's obviously got it's the best one in my eyes <laughs> because I'm a I'm a white patriarchal Arab for some reason. Um, I mean, I, I agree with you in that regard. I just I just think Mrs. Zilla's tweet was just very poorly worded and. It, it, and yeah. it was wrong. It was wrong. Admit uh, it. No. 
No, I, 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 I don't. I saw. So I've, seen, I've look. I've said why. But look, we're going into a long podcast here, so we it need is. to call it. People like to but, hear us uh, talk. But I don't. I don't think it was wrong. I think that she had a point. Um, I think that. She also, and I hate using this, but in context, and what I mean by context is that she had six tweets in a row, basically, um, which all expounded on the same concept. And no, I don't think, firstly, any singular one of the tweets was particularly wrong. I thought her examples of piped water were a bit um, off. Well, that's what I'm talking um, about, they're, being they're, wrong. They're a bit I, I, I don't, I'm not dismissing her entire argument. I'm mm. saying her examples are wrong. Well, the, the, basic, the basic premise is here, people, just number your tweets. <laughs> I think it makes a lot more that, sense. That's the mistake she made. Yes, very much. I'm so. sure that's what the DA disciplinary children's committee will find. That's what it's going to be about. Um, Listen, Zilla, we don't have a problem with what you said, but you should have one, numbered your tweets. We, 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 you learned how to, you know, uh, type from one to ten or count <laughs> rather. So just use that in in next time, please. Right, and on that bombshell. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jeremy Clarkson. It is time to go. See you next week. And yeah, enjoy whatever you, it is you do. Why am I sounding so fucking... Right, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can also get onto our Facebook group, which uh, has some interesting discussion going on pretty much all the time. Um, and uh, you can find us on Twitter at renegade underscore report. We will catch you next time. Thank you for listening. Central.com.